and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we'll be looking at Minute 32, which begins with an establishing shot of the derelict spaceship and ends with Kane rappelling down something that looks like a rib cage or a backbone or a something awful. Something bony. Yeah, something yeah. bony and awful. Yeah. And we're joined again by Caitlin Horseman. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, so let's start with that cross dissolve. Right. We were just talking yesterday about about the suspicious masculinity or lack of the otherness of Ash. And now he it finds himself sharing a frame with that spaceship almost the same size as that spaceship, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a definite kind of merging or some sort of again like foreshadowing of his role or at least affinity and sympathy with the aliens so i'm inclined to give that shot meaning is it safe to assume that every shot in a movie means something as a filmmaker i'm gonna say yes yeah yeah and so there's it's impossible to look too deeply into something is that i mean no i i think that my students often say to me that I ruin the movies for them because of this kind of close attention to things. But I think close reading and, and sort of formal analysis of films is one of the things that um, is so interesting about them. Because whether or not it was intentioned, um, if you as a viewer can find the meaning in it, then it's there. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Mitch was just looking for a little extra validation for us going on this crazy endeavor. So thank you, Caitlin, for providing some more of that. Um, all right, so we go from the cross dissolve. We have an establishing shot. We're back on. We're back to the derelict ship again, and we go right into what we have: Kane repelling down this rib cage. I don't know what. Yeah, to, and it's I so would, hard. To, and like, I would think too that, that dissolve is just in terms of film grammar, suggesting that there's a passage of time, sure. and so we don't have to watch him set up the tripod and set up the winch and get him all set and hooked up, and we can we can just drop into to him dropping down into this chamber. Isn't there a scene in Walter Hill's script where they are setting up the winch? And I think there is. Is there? I might be, Speaking out of turn here, but I think there is. I think that's this is a cut. Yeah. I think that it's, it's a good one. I don't want to see them set up a winch. So, yeah, we get a little time passage and go right to uh, Kane once again into the breach first. Eddie Attaboy. Every, we've been talking about this as a major theme with him as a character. He's on it. He's always the first to go. He's very curious. And he's just. I, I, and how I awesome is that for John Hurt to be that guy? John Hurt is the one who's yeah. the Captain Kirk. Right. He is going to go through the door first. And it's like, how many times do you think he gets offered that part? He's just been shooting up in Midnight Express. I mean, nobody thinks about him that way. So this one of the, I think that's one of the great pleasures of this movie is that it's so against the grain of what you'd expect from him. Yeah, and the casting is just so odd. I mean, overall, it's a really strange group of people um, thinking about their other roles, right? So... Yeah, so Tom Skerritt and then Yafet Koto. I mean, these are people who are pulled from all sorts of different genres. And, and you know, Ripley herself, so Sigourney Weaver. Just the way that, that people are put together is really interesting. They're a sort of ragtag crew in a cinematic sense and not only in inside the story. 
Yeah, and they then that sort of those incongruities add a, a yet another kind of prickly layer to the movie. It, you know, this isn't the lovable cast of Serenity or something. You know, this is this this is this is warts and all this bunch. Harry Dean Stanton in particular, I always like to bring him. I think he might be the most typecast in this movie, right? I mean, he reminds me just a little bit of his character, his background character in Cool Hand Luke or something. You know, yeah. where he's just a, he's just there. He's just a face. And his face does so much on its own. I don't know. I give a lot of props to uh, Harry Dean Stanton and Caitlin. I'm kind of a big fan. So I didn't want to get a uh, cast conversation to go by without mentioning him. That's yeah. good. That's good. So as <laughs> so as he's lowered down, we then drop back to this extraordinary mat shot that really gives us this, the scale and the production value. And John, were you saying how long that you, you clocked it, right? 15 seconds. So when they when they finally cut to this wide shot of the mat... It's uh, they're really proud of this shot and confident in it. I think this is another one of those touchstone moments in the movie um, where they wanted to remind the, the audience that they weren't watching a B movie. We're watching something we put a lot of into this. This is a big production. And again, it was another thing that the filmmakers had to fight the producers over, financiers over to make sure they could keep it in. Um, uh, really more the set in general is what I'm talking about there than the, than that match shot. But yeah, they've, they show it to us, and it's a nice long. You want to drink in that image because it's. That's not what I would expect to see uh, from this. I think the shot you get right before, uh, if you haven't seen the movie before, you're probably not envisioning something quite this grand. So, uh, it's an interesting juxtaposition of shots. There's a there's a one of those Gustave Doré etchings of, I think of of hell. Maybe it's Dante's Inferno. It kind of reminded me of that, even though it's kind of green. There's a black and white quality to it, you know, a real contrasty. And it snakes around, too. It's not just straight. So I wonder if we're back to another birth canal or intestinal or body thing. Right. Yeah, it seems that way. And I think that that shot, one of the things that it implies to me, just again, as a kind of um, a code of cinema is the idea that this is a civilization, right? It's not just a shot. It's a civilization and that sort of sense of scale becomes important in thinking about, you know, we don't get much information about who the aliens are. Um, but after seeing their defense system, right, um, which we've seen in the scene before, and then seeing the scale of their ability to build something, I think it's really kind of giving us a sense of, um, again, this comparison between human and alien. That shot, then, when we drop back to him being lowered, suddenly that shot has a new meaning because now we're really aware of the space that, that he's in. Um, and interestingly enough, that is actually the repurposed space jockey room. They basically pulled out the turntable that the space jockey was on, installed kind of a linear track, which is that spinal or backbone kind of thing where the eggs are going to be found, uh, and then photographed it from a different angle, looking down on it, turned out the lights, so you've only got the one illumination from the from his helmet light, and they get double the pleasure out of that set. Yeah, it was Michael Seymour again, proving himself to be a very efficient production designer. Um, really seems like a, the secret MVP of this movie in a lot of ways yeah. as we get into it deeper and deeper. Well, and when you read um, H.R. Giger's book, he t spends a lot of time talking about what they were building, when they were building, how they were building, and first from sculpting this set and then figuring out a way that you, they could actually build it. It's, they, they, had to, they had a vertical line and a horizontal line, but for that curve, they had to build a series of stair-stepped scaffolds and then 
mass produce these curved pieces that would all fit together to, to create that. I mean, it's the it's really an extraordinary piece of production design. Yeah. It's real. I believe it. I can feel it. I can smell it. You know. Well, it's made of so much real stuff. I know. Too. And then there's That's... also they uh, there's they use bones and all sorts of organic material, so that's pretty gross. I mean, we talked a little bit with Pete last week about surrealism. How Giger being the you know biomechanical surrealist, and he talks Giger talks about using bones, and and things that familiar because he knows when you're uh, the persistence of vision, you're looking for something familiar, and to find that is going to be like whether you know it or not, it's going to be very disturbing to you. So um, I think that's part of the appeal of this movie, uh, or, or kind of the icky. The pleasurable but icky feeling you get from watching this movie, or at least that I did when I first saw it, first watched it, um, comes from that kind of like balance of the, the macabre and the and the you know beautiful production. And how much design. you can't see as well. Yeah, they're they're always wanting to make us look longer because they're constantly concealing things from us. Yeah. Well, some um, historians of science fiction would say that we can't really imagine anything alien, right? That all aliens are just the parts of ourselves we're most afraid of. And so the kind of use of the abject in this film is really about traces of our own world and kind of exploding the things that are most scary, whether that's the interior of our bodies or, you know, the possibilities of reproduction outside of the womb, right? The first test tube baby is born the year before this movie comes out. And so sort of questions about um, mutation and and um, sort of biomechanical um, hybrids is, I think, one that's really on the, on the minds of, of culture in general. And, and this film taps into those fears. David Cronenberg was just starting to make a name for himself, too, right around yeah. this, this late 70s period. Yeah. with all that body horror all right well that's going to do it for minute number 32 uh check us out at alienminute.com or subscribe to us on itunes or the stitcher app make sure to come over to our facebook chat group and give us your opinions on whatever it is we're talking about and um we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 33